Hello, everybody. Chris Martinson here. And today we're going to be talking about finance and economics as part of Finance U. Remember, anything that you see in this video and all resources available at our websites or affiliated websites are not intended as or construed as financial advice. This is for educational purposes. Remember, if you have a financial decision, please consult a financial professional. We are not attorneys. We're not CPAs. We are not financial managers. As well, we do our best to be accurate and everything we represent is as accurate as we know it to be. Now, let's turn to our program. Hey, everybody, uh, Chris Martinson here. Welcome to Peak Financial Investing and Finance U. We're gonna discuss all things finance. Hey, Paul, good to see you. Good to see you as well, Chris, good to see you. Well, as you saw, I have I have this little, uh, at the time of this recording, there's this little debate going on with Doomberg, right? And yes. uh, a little surprising because I had to do something I haven't had to do in a number of months, and that is I had to break out my data paddle Okay. I like that. You don't you don't want me to have to break out the data paddle, okay? <laughs> but I I love the data. I love how you bring data to to what you do as well. It's just it's really important. I mean, in business you have to measure things. You, you, I mean, this is the thing I decry the most just to get off script before we even started is <laughs> the way in which we've lost the ability to have conversations because we don't have meaning in our words anymore that we can agree to, right? And I just I had to put this out in 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 um, the context of the German farmers, right? The way they were painting it in the media was they said, "Oh, well, they're unhappy because some subsidies are being removed." <laughs> and if you saw that piece, for anybody who didn't watch that, the subsidy being removed was a tax they didn't put on the farmers that they wanted to put on the farmers, but because they hadn't put the tax on, they called that a subsidy. When the definition of the word subsidy is money given for a purpose. Mm -hmm. not money not taken away <laughs> right but i mean that's that's what happens we can't have we can't even have conversations anymore because we're you know the, the meanings get all messed up and that's true across the board but in the energy space it's very hard to have a conversation now because we don't what's oil what's a petrochemical what's what's petroleum what's a reserve what's it all these all these words have been changed um and i think on purpose because i think it's I don't think they do this for our benefit. No, it's all about narrative. It's about obfuscation. It's it's about, you know, narrative, really. It is. Yep. Stay away from the numbers and let's talk about nice emotional little terms that work. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry your pretty little heads. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. So so let's go there. We're we're uh uh in, into markets for the moment. Um we I'm staring at some some charts over here to the side. Uh, the Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ, Russell, the, you know, uh, kind of just sort of huge run up through, uh, from all of November, all, most of December sort of parked here for the, for the first week of, of 2024. But, um, to me, Paul, I think we're still working off. Somebody freaked out in back there in October. I don't know what happened, but what I see is a pattern where they threw a lot of money into the markets because stocks went up, bonds went up. But Stocks if yeah, and then the narrative is, oh, investors were cheered by soft landing, all of this and that. But then at the same time, still staring at my charts, I don't see anything on the commodity side, particularly Dr. Copper's out of the game. Oil's not in the game here. Natural gas barely in the game, although we have uh, some cold weather coming now might change that a bit. But normally the, the pattern you would want to see for real recovery would include commodities, but not this time. Right. That I can right. see. 
Not this time. And I think a lot of, uh, of the year-end run had to do with, I mean, you know, the Fed makes this massive reversal. Financial conditions ease dramatically. And if you're mm -hmm. a portfolio manager, you know, it's one thing, it's one thing if you're working with an individual and you're having that communication together about, all right, this is the reason we're positioned the way we are. We're trying to, to play by the rules that are forced upon us. And we might underperform the markets a little bit, but if you're a portfolio manager, you've got to chase that market going into the end yeah. of the year. And I think that's the reason we had near panic uh, purchasing with this straight run up into the first week of January or, or to the uh, last week of December. So there's a lot to be said about, you know, historically, statistically speaking. So however, the first 10 days of the year goes, seven to 10 days of the year goes, so goes the rest of the year. Now, I think everybody knows about it. Now you've taken into consideration a massive run like that, that may not necessarily be the case. But when you have financial conditions ease as much as they did and, and the narrative changed so quickly overnight, you know, instead of higher for longer, immediately we changed into, oh, we've got, we've got cuts coming. We've got, mm -hmm. you know, uh, so it's possible that this momentum could carry through May or June. Um, now, you know, I think we were talking about this earlier. Uh, I can show here this, this uh, monthly, this yearly um, candles of the S&P 500, which does show that we've got some pretty major resistance in the S&P 500 uh, here at this level we're sitting at right now. So I think it's going to take mm -hmm. some time to work through this. Uh, it's possible we could fail here. I wouldn't be surprised to see the market pull back into the end of January or February. But with financial conditions easing, easing and and fiscal stimulus that's going to carry through and a treasury secretary that that very well could play politics as much as they can to keep keep the economy running hot if we do break through this that's going to cause a lot of repositioning in the market and that may get us that blow off top that that you know people talk about and and as an investor if you're positioned wrong you worry about but it's yeah, still a time you, to be cautious can you pull that back up again real quick Yes, yes. Because I, I think it's just, you know, maybe I'm making patterns out of nothing. Uh, but what I'm seeing here is interesting is, so see there in 2008, that big red candle? Yes. That's where the Fed decided gloves off. Like everything prior to that red candle, their balance sheet was, uh, everything ran differently, right? Uh, we'd accumulated only $880 billion on the Fed balance sheet by that time through all of history. Uh, when they did financial easing or rate hikes, the opposite, tightening, Prior to that red candle, it involved pushing cash into the market, taking cash out. Ever mm -hmm. since then, though, all that's just like candle up, up, stagnant, yeah. up, 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 stagnant, <laughs> up, up, little down, up, 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 right? All of that is because every time there's been a tiny little wiggle down, the Fed has stepped in with more easing, more balance sheet expansion, changes to the rules where they no longer have to withdraw money from the markets in order to create rising interest rates, which they used to, which is called tightening. It's not. Right. Mm -hmm. the, the the Fed version of tightening now involves giving more money to the big banks as a consequence because they just pay them more interest on the on the money they hold for the big banks. It's crazy. So that I just want to point out what everybody thinks of as normal mm -hmm. from 2008 and onward is one of the most unbelievable periods of interventions ever. But you got it. That's that is the game. But this is why it's important here, you know, from a finance viewpoint standpoint, I think you need to know that plumbing. You need to understand what that is, because I look at the plumbing right now, and I don't see tightening. No, I see 
the words around tightening, but I don't see the tightening. So I think the Fed is afraid to actually tighten. I don't think they want to disappoint markets. I think they need asset prices to go up and to the right like this. I think that's the game and it will continue until something breaks. That's right. And, you know, from another perspective and just kind of highlight this, this is uh, annual yearly chart uh, candlesticks going from 1997 all the way up till today. Of course, it shows I've got some space at the, the right hand side. But, you know, my question would be, you know, is the Fed so terrified that if we fail here that we have a sell off like occurred in 2008 or a sell off that occurred like occurred from 2000 to 2002 that, you know, hey, we're at resistance. We've got to get through this resistance because the stronger that resistance is, I mean, you can look back going to 1997. This is this is a strong line in the sand that's that's unmatched. We don't necessarily have a period of time going back to 1997 where you've had this strong of a resistance in the overall market. Mm -hmm. So if you fail here, then that's a good indication that there just aren't any buyers left. So is that one of the reasons? I don't know, but is that one of the reasons why the Fed's going to step in and say, okay, we can't let the markets fail here. We've got to keep this going, you know, because if they do fail here, hey, it's going to get pretty ugly going into the election. And yeah. what else do they have to what else does this ne administration necessarily have to stand upon? Yeah, well, one last thing I was going to point out on that is that that makes a very straight line, those mm. candles. I could draw a really straight line through them. That was a log chart you had. So that means, that means <laughs> that this is an exponential. It's not like, oh, look, the stocks kind of go up into the right at a 45-degree angle. People, this is a log chart. That means that these yeah. things are, are going up exponentially. Because yeah. <laughs> that straight line on a log chart is exponential growth. So that's what the Fed's like. Oh, we'll just do whatever it takes to keep exponentially <laughs> increasing asset prices, right? There's another right. chart we could pull up, which shows now that the top 10% of households in the U.S. own 92.5% of all the equities. So when we're talking about that chart going up and to the right, we're really actually only talking about something that directly affects 10% of the people. The other 90%, they just look at that and go, what does that have to do with me? Right. Right. Of course, in talking about narrative, you know, they're going to put out, oh, 50 percent of the populace own stocks. But like you said, the other seven percent, six to seven percent own minuscule amounts. They own minuscule amounts. It's the the top 92, 93 percent. So so they're focused on the few individuals and those few individuals. Many of those individuals happen to be very close to the printing presses and to the halls of power. Yeah. Yeah, well, so when I say something may break, of course, you know, uh, at the time of recording this, the German farmers are in big revolt. Apparently, the farmers in Poland and Holland, of course, uh, they're joining in. And I say, of course, because the Holland farmers have been protesting for a long time. Um, but the, it's just this general idea, Paul, that, that the little people are getting squeezed. Mm -hmm. And that squeezing is about to sort of erupt, you know, mm -hmm. and you can feel it. And it's been fascinating to watch because these are farmers. Um, I consider them generally salt of the earth kinds of people in any country you go to. They have the, you know, they tend for animals. They have to be really smart. They work all the time. Um, yes. You know, it's unbelievable. They're the same everywhere in that respect, right? So uh, as soon as the press in Germany decided that they had to pay attention to this immediately, they might as well have been truckers in Canada. <laughs> Racist, yeah. ultra far right, uh, you know, on and on and on, right? And And I'm just like, these are your farmers. These are the people who grow your food. So so uh, are we that out of touch that the people who write these articles just literally have no clue where their food comes from? Mm -hmm. 
or are they smart enough to figure that out? It's just they 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 they're more slaves to the narrative. I don't know what's going on. It's very bizarre. Very bizarre. I think they're you know just my opinion, and I've I've wondered about that for a while. I think they're just so removed. Because the further you get removed, when you get into the city, you've got all the conveniences that are there. That's where a large amount of these individuals are located. They're educated very well. You know, they tend to look down upon the farmers. The farmers tend to look down upon them. You know, what is it? Israel, it's a mandatory um, service in the military. I think it would be, uh, our country would be much better off if we had a mandatory service and working on a farm as part of a college education for about a year. That's just what you do. Go work with farmers get close to the soil, understand how how that happens, how these farmers care about their livestock and and how important they are to everyday life as we know it. I think they're just they're just so far detached. They 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 don't they've never walked in those shoes and they don't understand and they just assume that these farmers are just a bunch of, you know, rednecks, unfortunately. That would be such an expensive program because think how much we'd have to pay farmers to put up with that aggravation. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good point. <laughs> the farmers might just quit producing food. Yeah. To deal with it every day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's one of those things that's great in theory, horrible in application, right? <laughs> so good idea, though. I, 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 I support it. <laughs> Got a few wrinkles to smooth out. <laughs> yes. But as far as the markets go, I mean, we've got interest rates are trying to creep up just a little bit. Um, yeah. you know, that, that nothing major, no major moves there. Commodities aren't participating. You know, this may be another, you know, easing of financial conditions and kind of fear of missing out, uh, move by the overall market. Because if we do break out of those ranges, you're going to have to have a lot of repositioning across the board. And then you've got a lot of pensions, you know, unfortunately, you know, I, I try to think of all of the things that could cause investors to transition and, you know, a lot of pensions are going to be struggling after after last year's uh, 2022's, you know, massive underperformance with stocks and bonds. So they're behind their return mandate. So there's there's a lot of power. There's a lot of forces that are going to be putting pressure on this administration to say, hey, bail us out, bail us out. Right. Kick this can down the road a little bit longer so we can blame it on someone else. And, you know, the sad part is, is we're starting to see, you know, massive intervention and that can stops rolling a lot quicker than it did before. And um, so, you know, just not a lot to be said in the overall markets. We have, from my position, we have to assume that the path of least resistance is going to be higher, but also look for some of those really good opportunities. Because I like, you know, I think I've mentioned this before. Again, this is not a recommendation, just, just having a conversation uh, to put on the radar. But South America is very natural resource, agriculture, you know, resource heavy producer, if we, if this is kind of Goldilocks best case scenario, and we're going to have this global, you know, expansion that's going to last three or four more years, those are some of the most underpriced areas around the world where you can get decent dividend yields and you have a lot of upside potential. And again, if we see this market transition uh, to where this is Goldilocks scenario that's sustainable, <laughs> then you're not just going to have the safe haven of your top seven or eight stocks, seven to 10 stocks on on the you know, S&P 500 that are going to be the leaders, right? You're going to have to have overall participation in the, in the general market. And we've seen that a little bit with the rally that occurred uh, November and December, but, but not convincing enough yet to say the worst is behind us. So this is one of those areas where 
you have to play the game by the rules that are forced upon us, but you also have to to have your exit points ready very quickly and just be nimble. You know, and there's there's no way that we're going to be able to navigate. Anybody's going to be able to navigate this perfectly. They can state it confidently, but, you know, uh, we've just got to be open minded and let the market tell us what it wants to do here over the next 60, 90 days. Yeah, well, I mean, it's been a, a, a reasonable bet since 2008 that the Fed's going to do whatever it needs to do overtly, covertly. I'm convinced that, that you know, the, right now they're like, oh, we're, we're rate hiking. That's the overt side. Covertly, you look at the financial conditions index and find out it's looser than ever, right? So <laughs> which is it? You know, how did that happen, right? Um, and we know that there aren't a lot of loans going into commercial real estate right now. So there are some some plugs in the, in the overall system. So where's all this financial easing coming from? You know, it's a, it's a broad condition index and uh, with some notable holes in it. So, so we have that going on. Um, and, and then I live by the anecdote, maybe I shouldn't, but, but Paul, I see constantly now videos of say 40 and under people just really crying about how hard it is to get by, you know, if not mm -hmm. impossible, you know, one, sometimes two, like good jobs aren't enough to even begin to float things you know in any particular market out there right now so so i know things aren't easy at this point based on what i'm seeing so how long can we hold that narrative together and then we come into this election season which is always always mm -hmm. a good reason to spend more and print more from a mm -hmm. dc fed perspective respectively right so how, right. Do you, how do you see how do you see that factoring in that that can, can they keep it covered up that people are really struggling through the election I think that they can keep the narrative going through the election, but one of the things that I'm, I mean, this is just on a small scale with the individuals that I'm talking to locally, but, but we're starting to see at least locally individuals that were in supportive of the administration, you know, Hey, they didn't necessarily like Trump's personality. And I, I don't necessarily want to get into the politics, but this is the reality of the situation. We don't necessarily like Trump's personality. So I'm not going to vote for him. You know, so maybe they didn't vote because they couldn't vote for either or, and then you've got some that voted against, right? But we're starting to see, I'm starting to have individuals that'll come up to me because they, they feel comfortable talking to me because I take my stance as I'm a political atheist. I just want what's best for the country. And they're saying, hey, you know, I, I can't continue to live this way. You know, what, what can we do? We've got to make some changes. So I think they can keep the narrative up into the election from a media standpoint, because, you know, a lot of those individuals are really wealthy. They're connected. As long as the market's up, they're feeling good. They're reporting good. Their advertisers are good. The question is going to be what actually happens when when people hit the ballots this fall, right? You, you can spin the narrative. You can make the numbers look great. You can revise them in hindsight. But the question is, will the American people vote based upon the pain that they're experiencing? Because there's a tremendous amount of it. I mean, my, my daughter just graduated. She's got, fortunately, she's got a good job, but a lot of her friends are out of school looking to purchase homes and, and they're miserable. They're like, you know, I didn't understand that it was this hard. I didn't understand that it costs this much to live. I didn't understand that, you know, how expensive it is to live in a home. So, you know, I think people are slowly starting to wake up because the, the reality for 85% of the population is things aren't getting easier. Costs are not coming down. Yeah, you can celebrate about disinflation and hey, inflation's going away, but those prices are sticking right here. And the only thing that's going to make it easier for a lot of those individuals is deflation. But the problem is, is if we get that deflation, then you get more layoffs because corporates are going to have to protect their profits. And then there's, there's pain either way.
Yeah. I mean, if, uh, if, if our average grocery bill now is $500 and inflation goes to zero, it'll still be $500. That's right. Right? They, That's right. That, again, we, we need to share the terms. But this is part and parcel. I mean, uh, for people who – I mean, the president himself obviously is confused about all this stuff. He, he doesn't – he can't really string the concepts together. But, but whoever's writing his tweets for him does not, does not understand these basic concepts. I think we have profound ignorance – about very basic concepts so I, i'll indict the educational system at this stage or something right because <laughs> because we should all know about inflation that's why we do finance university or everybody should know about these topics you know oh why should i follow the fed because they're going to completely dominate and shape your future right that's they they should be you should be waking up every day saying what what is the fed doing right because they're doing they're doing stuff right Throwing generations under the bus, stealing from the many to give to the few, making sure that stocks always go up into the right. You know that they have the, the mandates they talk about aren't the ones that that they actually seem to attend to. <laughs> Stable no. prices and full employment, right? <laughs> and 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 people are starting to lose faith. Of course, you know I'm, I'm in a in a weird like I you know I've got a strange sort of crevice of the audience that I talk to, but people it has not gone unnoticed that in the last. 10 months running the bls has had to revise its employment figures downwards 10 times out of 10 if you were sitting there at a blackjack table equivalent and they were flipping a coin and it came up heads 10 times you better start thinking this may not be a fair coin <laughs> right right <laughs> and if you're on the other side of the house and and, and you're winning all of these uh, uh all of these hands they're going to be standing over your shoulder watching what you're doing and potentially remove you if they can't figure it out right mm -hmm. but exactly no <laughs> I mean, it's just narrative control and so and so so it is what it is and people still have to navigate the markets right and people are you know you work with people every day who you know it's uh you it's you got to do what you got to do so um that's what i like about about your approach is you know it just it it's weird but this is what it is and it's kind of a global thing because i'm staring over at my charts right now again if you stripped off the names I can't tell the difference between the DAX, the Dow, the S&P, the Euro stocks. Same chart. Identical. Tick for tick. It's just the world we live in right now. Yeah, mostly the NATO countries are, are pretty much operating the same way. But, you know, it boils down. I had a conversation with an individual this morning, and they, you know, they've been absolutely terrified. They, they didn't know what to do. They've never taken the time to actually understand the approach that we operate under, because what they're looking for, and this is the mistake that a lot of people make, they're, they're looking for perfection, right? Well, there's, there's nothing, there, there's no investment strategy that's perfect. Warren Buffett's been a legend historically, but you go back and look, there's periods of time where he's underperformed the market. There's periods of time where five to seven years, he's gone sideways. Market collapse in 2008, he didn't lose as much, but his strategy is not designed to completely miss as much. So he did a great job, but he was still down 36, 38%, somewhere around there. So when people get scared and they don't know what to do, they're either looking for somebody that will tell them what they want to hear, but then they're wise enough to realize they don't trust that individual, or they're looking for perfection. And if they're looking for perfection, they end up performance chasing. So this individual is finally to the point, you know, they sat down and said, okay, you know, they, you know, I've communicated with them enough about how we've navigated the past several years. And they're like, look, you know, do you think this is a great time to leave CDs and invest? And I said, 
no. <laughs> you know, and they said, do you think this is a great time to stay 100% in the CDs? And I said, no. <laughs> you know, I mean, the reality is, is you, you, you know, you've got to, to consider what's the most damaging in the, in the end. So what we've seen since the 2008 crisis is they have not allowed deflation to occur. They've, they've crossed many boundaries. Mm -hmm. They've blown through what, what was considered to be operating with integrity as a government. They put our, the finances and credit worthiness of our country at risk with fiscal stimulus, all trying to bring about inflation. They're telling us that they want to bring about inflation. Then they game the numbers to make it look like the inflation is not as bad as what it seems. And I said, you have to consider that that's your greatest enemy. And yeah, if everything works out great, we're going to have a deflationary event. Markets are going to drop. Those that are prudent and prepared are going to prepare for that. And I think ultimately we're going to end up there. But the problem with that is, is that's going to mean all of these centers of power are going to lose their position because the American people are not going to accept them being there. Those institutions would fail the the other individuals that are prepared would step up and step in. So my argument is, is look, you just got to find a strategy. You got to work with somebody that you trust. That's not going to claim that they can get it perfect. You understand they're not going to get it perfect, but they're going to fight tooth and nail every day to mitigate that risk and utilize tools that'll help keep you in the right position. The large majority of the time and understand the weeks and strengths of the strategy, right? So I think that's where investors have to get to. And what I'm seeing is people are, are understanding that's the only way to navigate this now because you've got a Federal Reserve that comes out. Oh, all the media was talking about uh, Chairman Powell. Well, you know, he's going to be Volcker. He doesn't want to be Arthur Burns, you know, and make the same mistake. And, you know, and a lot of individuals, including myself, I'm, I'm cheering. I'm like, oh, this guy's serious. Like, hire for longer? I mean, he's really going to deal with this. And then all of a sudden, you know, he turns and, and does a 180 and, and says, we're going to start cutting interest rates out of the blue. And then those that, that refuse to believe a word he said and said, Hey, they're just going to run in the inflationary direction and protect this market at all costs, even at the expense of future generations were right so far. And that's going to make it even more dangerous, Chris, because what's going to happen is when this stimulus doesn't work anymore and they can't kick that can down the road any further, that's when there's going to be few people left that are even trying to manage risk. And the largest majority of people are just going to be wiped out because at some point we're going to get a major reset in the markets. We just don't know when that's going to be. Well, I, I, there, there's, I don't think it'll come except through an event of some kind. Right. Right. Um, how would I, how would I share this? Um, oh, I know. I'll do this. It'll just be a little thing that'll show up in, in my, yeah, I think if I do this, oops, wrong one. Hold on. Hold on. I'll get there. Nice abstract. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. Screensaver. So, um, so, so this, uh, uh, from OSINT Defender, which is a, it's an okay channel. I don't totally subscribe to everything, but they're saying here, U.S. defense officials and members of the Biden administration have reportedly begun to understand in recent weeks maybe negotiations uh, have failed here and that there may be a major regional war in the Middle East may soon be imminent. Uh, yeah, that's no bueno, right? Um, yes. So if, if something like that happens, I, I would predict, and I'd like to hear what you, you think, I would predict, obviously, there's a lot of chaos that's going to happen right away, right? Oil prices, this, that, you know, 
but mysteriously, the markets will actually be stable and possibly go up and to the right. And I base this <laughs> on Desert Storm 1, Desert Storm 2, uh, you know, post, uh, you know, the Israeli, uh, you know, surprise attack of October 7th, right? It was down for like a, an hour or two on a day and off it went, right? So, so when we talk about this support for the markets, that's my prediction is that they will, again, support this, but, you know, and do whatever they can so to show that markets aren't concerned. I don't know why they spend so much. They worry about that a lot. They want the markets to always show everything's okay. That's fine. Um, but within the context of that, if a wider Middle East war breaks out, my prediction would be this one gets out of hand, right? And we discover that oil infrastructure is surprisingly fragile and explosive, mm -hmm. right? Right. And that would, be, that would be devastating for corporate profits. It would be devastating for inflation because now all of a sudden, and look, look, that, that's an area outside of my expertise, but I'll, you know, take a chance of just kind of uh, be willing to look like a fool with this. But if, you, you know, you've already got the situation with Russia and Ukraine, and I haven't dug into the headlines, but basically I've been seeing headlines here recently about Sweden trying to prepare their citizens for war because they're wanting to come into NATO. I don't, I don't, you may know something about that. You can talk a little bit more. I don't, I've just seen some headlines and not dug into it. But if we had a major, you know, war breakout in the Middle East, I mean, that's going to interrupt shipping, which has already started to interrupt shipping. That's going to end up being inflationary. You have oil prices that are going to skyrocket. That could be the death, death knell for a consumer that's really, when you look at credit card debt data, the willingness to take on debt, it's like the government's willing to take on tremendous amounts of debt and risk the future for the short term. And they want to say that the average citizen is, but is it out of necessity or is it out of just a desire to, you know, no fear of debt? That That is something that I think, regardless of how the market reacts in the inter, in the first week or two, is something that could be the death knell for an economy that's already running on fumes. Yeah, I, I think that that external forcing function would be like if, if oil did spike in price for a, a period of time. And the mm -hmm. price spike coming because there are actual supply shortages. Um, mm -hmm. Both the price has its has a, a bad impact impact, but also the the just the lack of of oil uh, as mm -hmm. as an impact. And by the way, the, I talked about this in in my scouting report for people who are subscribers. This what we're doing here is public, of course. So, so I, I I'll just put this up here too because it's it's important context. Um, which is that this just came out uh, day before yesterday on on. Um, on oilprice.com. So when the United States, um, you know, went in and, and did a smash and grab on Iraq, you know, coming in because of weapons of mass destruction that did not exist. Uh, one of the things we did was came in with um, a lot of the Western oil companies. This is fascinating. So it turns out that ExxonMobil just had to back off. They, they left the West Kerna one field, which is when I say the West Kerna one, I might as well be saying Gawar minus a little bit this is this is a super giant major 43 billion barrels of crude reserves this thing's massive there aren't that many like this and so what do they say here however uh china and russia have come in and and you know made partnerships here and so uh we're seeing a very what i consider to be a very very rapid um loosening of western grip in the middle east and that then becomes the context for this Right. Because yes. what is this really about? Is this really about trying to protect a couple of ships from a couple of drones or is it really about this? Um, 
which is the loss of, of Western influence from the prize, which is the Middle East. The Middle East, let's be clear, is the prize when it comes to, to oil. There's nothing like it anywhere else on earth, nothing. Um, so all of that said, I mean, th there's these big things sort of, sort of percolating. Um, you know, I think investors have to be ready for that. You know, there, you have to have an understanding of that. I like to have plans for these things. The plans never survive contact with the enemy, but I do have a plan for what to do if, if oil really skyrockets and, and all of that. I think it's important to at least consider mm -hmm. that that might happen because those are forcing functions that then prevent the Fed from just printing more and doing whatever it wants because nobody's really paying attention, right? That's you right. Can't print oil. Nothing no. you can do about that. You can't print oil. You can't print food. And, you know, regard in spite of 3D printers, there's a lot of supplies you can't print because mm -hmm. you, you got them in time. You can print some supplies, but it still has a supply chain. Not with the instantaneous yeah, yeah. instant ability that you can, the printing presses. That's a pretty big deal. I haven't seen that, Chris. That's a sea change based on what we've seen since Bretton Woods uh, agreement in 1971, 72, 71, I believe it was. Um, that's a, that's a, to me, I would think that's substantial and it has to go along with those other headlines because now Exxon just walks away and, and China has control of this major resource now. Mm -hmm. they, and China has uh, full control of Afghanistan's resources at this point in time. Because mm -hmm. they have Afghanistan, they can put a pipeline across it, which I hear they're busy doing because they can get to Turkmenistan, which has uh, probably 10% of the proven gas reserves in the world, untapped for the most part, but China needs them. Uh, they're busy building pipelines down from Russia. Oh, Russia needs to sell uh, Europe their gas. Well, not if they can sell them somewhere else, right? So, so we're watching this very, very. This is to me that this is shocking to see it unfolding this quickly, because what we're talking about is the United States had through the Monroe Doctrine, we had a a policy in the Middle East which was, we'll be the policeman, you be the oil suppliers, and that's since Carter, right? Jimmy Carter put that in place. Um, he's been building Habitat for Humanity ever since to make up for for whatever happened, I guess. But but, you know, it's that that's a big deal. And I thought that was going to go away with more of a fight on mm -hmm. our side. And it really it just sort of like fizzled out like a real bad relationship. You know, it just, I don't know what happened. Hmm. But well, it's you, interesting to look at these major Mohammed bin Salman, right? Just doing the fist bump when he doesn't shake Biden's hand and they they they, yeah. they, they make the. They make the State Department guys like land on the far end of the field and they have to take like a golf cart over, you know, no red carpets. It's just it's very obvious what's mm -hmm. happening. Yeah. And respect matters a lot from what I understand in the in the, in the uh, to the Chinese. So we had several of our officials or one of our officials went over and had to wait four or five hours, you know, just a sign of disrespect. And, um, you know, and what concerns me the most is you've got these major global powers that are strategically making decisions from a long-term standpoint. They're looking at the world and resources with truth and they're through the eyes of truth. And they're, they're making decisions like this and exercising the power that they have to secure those resources from a long-term standpoint. Mm -hmm, and, you mm -hmm. know, and, and that brings to mind the fact that China just increased their, their export restrictions on rare earth metals and minerals, which all of our leading technology has to use a lot of those rare earth metals and minerals. So um, concerning from a long-term standpoint, I mean, you know, and the hard part is, is this is all going to come to a head at some point and the markets aren't going to be able to, to continue to act as if there's nothing risky on the horizon. 
because even at some point, the markets are going to have to reposition, even if it's just assets leaving the U.S. and being reinvested in other parts of the world that are making better decisions from a long-term standpoint, because mm -hmm. money, you know, unless we have capital controls where that money can't use leave the United States, which is always possible at some point in the future, um, uh, investment capital will go where it's going to be uh, treated the best. And at some point that's not going to be in the U S anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Let me let the, but speaking of not in the U S anymore, um, I am still really shocked by, in particular, this one, the German DAX, which I have my cursor on here, which is indistinguishable from the Dow, which is indistinguishable from the S&P. But I, I'm picking on the German DAX because they're, I've never seen a collapse in their industrial production outside. Like they're, they're in um, energy intensive industries, Paul, have collapsed harder, faster and deeper than they did in COVID. In COVID, they shut them down because mm -hmm. of lockdowns like like they literally sent people home and even in the construct of that you didn't have a, a decline as deep you didn't have a decline as deep as in the great depression I mean, this is deeper so they're having this complete destruction of their most uh, the beginning of the value chain right like until you've made aluminum ingots in your energy intensive industry you can't make bmw engine blocks right until you've made your borosilicate glass blanks you can't make windows and test tubes and all the other awesome stuff they make in Germany, right? So, so their whole they've got this like literally mass destruction of their economy. I can't see that in here. Who no. is it? What's happening? <laughs> you know. So, so, so I I, I think that you know um, I'm not at the point of saying that fundamental analysis is is going to get you where you need to go. I think you have to just watch for read the tea leaves. And right now, my tea leaves say. There's a lot of money in the system that's going to keep sloshing around for a while. That, yes. But, uh, you know, that's not investment advice. It's just one guy who's been watching markets a long time. When they do things I can't explain, the explanation mm -hmm. is that means there's money pouring into them from somewhere, right? Because mm -hmm. tops happen when you run out of buyers and bottoms happen when you run out of sellers, right? That That's, it's, you know, but in between those two moments, liquidity, 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 <laughs> That's exactly right. And and when you have when the when the buyers start to run out, when you when you juice the economy with tremendous amounts of liquidity and there's a willingness for people to buy on leverage, which we don't have a whole lot of leverage based on the numbers we're looking at the market. But but, you know, that that continues to fuel this. And the DAX to me is just something when I look at the fundamental numbers, I'm like, this is this is insane. And 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 I go back to, OK, what if what if this happens in the U.S.? You know, that Yes, our numbers are declining, but they're nowhere near as bad as what they are on the DAX. But that market's still continuing to go up. As a fiduciary and helping manage money for clients and as an investor myself, that is the absolutely most terrifying situation. Because one, yes, you have the technicals that are going to point you in the right direction. And fundamentals are good. They tell you the the ultimate, you know, the value you're paying for that investment. But, you know, I always pay attention to the fundamentals and say, okay, what's the risk in here? If things go wrong, how bad can it be? So, and technicals are not perfect, but they can help keep you on the right side. They can help keep you in, in the trade as long as that momentum is there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, good. So um, I think that's all I have for today. I, I am going to be seeing you uh, in a month or so, less than a month out at, in Phoenix yeah. at the FLCCC conference, which I mean, I'm the MC for that and uh, very exciting. They've got, um, uh, you know, a new strategy and, and we've been doing a lot of work to help them, um, do what they do. So that's going to be exciting. They've already got 
they have a limit of 500 they're already at 440 so i think they're gonna they're gonna max this one out pretty quick um and it'll be both doctors and health enthusiasts you know because want those mm -hmm. two audiences to begin to commingle more and all that so really exciting good stuff uh, they'll be talking about all kinds of amazing things there the turbo cancers the vax injury things like that um that you know you'll get to hear world experts uh talk about this kind of stuff so I think you'll have a good time. Anybody else has shown up. I know there's a number of peak prosperity people are showing up. If we get enough, we'll have a quorum. Uh, oh, that's exciting. Know, to so, fill out, to have some little breakout sessions. I'm, I'm going to do a breakout session too. I'm going to do what they call a pop-up, a little breakout. I'm emceeing, but I'm going to find time to hand off some duties because I want to I wanna talk about um, how, how to, rough title would be, um, you know, positioning positioning your money for the next few years. Just to yes. talk about that. I'm excited about attending. I, I looked at the agenda of the speakers. I mean, that that's that's gonna be a pretty amazing, a pretty amazing event. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these are all these are super high integrity folks who are showing up. So it's 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 just fun to be around them. So that's good time. So anybody who's thinking of coming, uh Phoenix, February two, three, four. Um, and uh and but it's filling up quick. So um mm -hmm. if you want to come, I don't know if there's even any spaces by the time you watch this. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's a good point. I know I had one of the hotel rooms that I had reserved. I filled it out, you know, clicks like it's gone. I'm like, literally, this was 60 seconds ago and it showed you had plenty of rooms left. It was gone. Yeah. So I did find yeah. another hotel room pretty quickly. So you're right, it is filling up quickly. Yep. Well, good. Uh so Paul, I'm off next week. We won't be able to have this conversation because I'll be in Panama. So I don't think I can commit to anything there. So we'll we'll take next week off, but I'll be back the week after. And so um everybody who's been listening to this, thank you very much. Remember peakfinancialinvesting.com. If you want to talk to Paul and his crew, you can go through that portal and we make it very easy. Um and so it's uh going very well. And I'm just very happy with all everything that people have said about how how good it is paul to talk to somebody who speaks their language uh, well, i think thank everybody you. deserves that thank you we've enjoyed it not I, I enjoy the conversations and as long as we can help people everything else will take care of itself yep indeed all right well with that thanks paul and um we'll see you in a couple weeks thanks chris i can't wait to hear about your trip i'll be i'll be excited to tell you <laughs> Hello, Chris Martinson. I'm the CEO of Peak Prosperity and also Peak Financial Investing. And after watching that, you're probably wondering, well, what do I do with my money? Look, you both deserve and need somebody who can talk to you about what's really going on in this world, understand the situation as it is, not be steering you towards certain things that don't make sense for you or just keep you in a game that's already ended. Look, if you want to talk to somebody about the petrodollar declining or what is happening with gold or which sectors are actually the best ones to be in, given what the Federal Reserve is up to or the federal government, you deserve to talk to somebody who can answer those and has a few gray hairs and has been there through some of the economic cycles because, hey, we're in another economic cycle, so it's good to have that experience. Fortunately, at Peak Financial Investing, what we do is we go out and we scour and we look for the very best firms out there who satisfy one thing above all else. They've got great experience coupled to great customer service. So if you want to come by peakfinancialinvesting.com, there's a very simple form you can fill out. Just a few fields. You hit send. What happens is an email gets triggered out. It goes to uh, an endorsed firm of ours. You will get an email back. You can then set up a phone call for a 30 to 45 minute free, no obligation, no pressure 
call to find out if this firm is a good fit for you and to find out if you're a good fit for the firm. It has to go both ways. And if all that matches up, this will be one of the best things that could happen to you this year. So please come by peakfinancialinvesting.com. Very simple process. We would love to help you if we can. Thanks very much.